This is the Simply Love Jesus podcast. We explore life and faith through the lens of one question. What does it mean to simply love Jesus? We're here with the bro, Caleb, and we're here with my girlfriend, Olivia. The music director. Yes. Music, you gotta introduce her properly. The music director of Simply Love Jesus Ministries. The music director of Simply <laughs> Love Jesus. She, she's all right. She's all right. Um, so we're at uh, Blue Agave and um, we just enjoyed some uh, good food. And um, so, how you been, Caleb? Good. I did nothing this weekend. It was great. <laughs> I was like, I was like, day, it was a weekend where I was like finally finished with some projects. And I was, it's like I've been working on them for months. And I was finally done with it, and I was like, "All right, for the next two days, I got other stuff I gotta work on." But for these next two days, nothing. I'm gonna sit home, play video games, watch Obi Wan Kenobi, and eat food and cook food, and then play with my dog, and that was it. And so it's been pretty chill. So, so how how is that uh, Obi Wan Kenobi thing? I heard some. It's so good. good things. It's so good. And there's a lot of haters out there, and I don't like it. I'm telling them, go get a life and be a real Star Wars fan because. Here's the reason. People don't like the fact that I'm going to go on a whole tangent. This is going to be related to the episode, but we're about to get into it, people. Um, people don't like the Obi. A lot of people don't like the Obi-Wan Kenobi show because they don't like that Obi-Wan is kind of he's like broken. They don't like that he's broken. He doesn't he he's essentially like almost forgotten how to fight with a lightsaber. He doesn't he does, he's not connected to the force anymore. And all the and people don't like that and they're like, no, there's no Obi Wan. He's supposed to be like powerful and all put together and the next best thing since Jesus. Like, no, like Obi Wan, he's like the thing I love about the show is they're exploring what had what what created the incredible Ben Kenobi that we see in episode four. The wise, powerful sage who's like watching over Luke all these things and we're like what what turned him into that and what where we last left off with him in uh episode three was that obi-wan was this he he had it was he's gone through hard things like he's he's lost a loved one he lost essentially his father figure in his life at darth maul in episode one but in episode three like he not only in his mind killed his brother what was like his brother and thus also failed to fulfill his father figure's dying wish and then at the process of of failing to train his own brother figure right and failing to train anakin right he created darth vader who was responsible for wiping out all of his entire worldview the entire jedi order is wiped out so you have this I was hoping and praying. I was like tweeting Star Wars every single day when I saw that they were they were beginning writing this show, and I was like, "Please make bro- Obi Wan this broken PTSD trauma filled man. Do not give me this perfect put together guy." And they did, and I love it because we're seeing him just go through so many things. And there's this encounter where he get he he you find out in the show that he didn't know Anakin Skywalker survived. He thought he killed him. So there's this moment in the show where this this inquisitor is hunting him down, and this inquisitor is like, "I'm taking you back to him." And then you see this, that like he perfectly acts like the, like a straight up like he got like PTSD triggered, like where he's straight up like he's like Anakin Skywalker's alive, and you just see the horror on his face, and it, ugh, everything about this show is amazing. There's some things I would change, like they don't do alien languages enough, um, and maybe a couple other things but all in all the show is like 20 out of 10 so good and i love what they're doing with it so 
I'm not even gonna lie, I'm not that much of a Star Wars fan, but well, you should be now. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to get into. It is so, a lot to get into yeah. because the Star Wars is it is without people realizing it, it's essentially like a religion. Like the way that it's set up, when George Lucas designed Star Wars, he designed it to reflect the same ideas of like Greek myths. That's how he decided them. So Greek myths uh, back in the day were these stories that you would tell that for the purpose of teaching like life lessons and lessons of value to people. And so that's what George Lucas also did. He took these like he made it a myth, like a mythology. There's a whole inner working universe, and it all comes back to the same three themes of of reconciliation. Good will always triumph over evil and family. Those are like the three things that make Star Wars hold together. And he built like this essentially just an entire like worldview within it. And it's like so deep and profound when you just watch it and you see the things that he's inspired by. Um, but it's a lot to get into. Um, but it's totally worth it. Yeah, I know. Because it rubs you out the wrong way when people say Star Trek. That's right. That's right. That's right. No, we well, should have a we should have a marathon, and I make you watch all the movies. In the I, right way. I would prefer to watch Star Trek. No. How are you doing, Olivia? Hey guys, it's your girl Livy here. I was really excited to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I am the music director for Simply Love Jesus, also AKA Adrian's Boo Thing. Um, yeah, I've been doing well. This weekend was pretty good for me, too. I had a pretty overall chill weekend. Um, Had a few things going on, but even the things that I had going on were chill things. So just hanging out with people and doing life with people. So that's always fun and chill. So that's awesome. I'm doing well. That's good. That's good. We were at the uh, Antonius is not just a moment thing on Thursday. It was so good, dude. Bruh. They got. When I tell you my going. soul left my body, I was just there just <laughs> doing multimedia work. I, that's yeah. It's 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 you just, gotta send me that photo you tagged me in that was in your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was a good one. But it's just Antonius is like it's just like his energy. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was real great. He's just gifted. Like he's very gifted and has a passion to just see people and a passion worship. just to be his Yeah. Yeah, great people. It was a great event. Looking forward to the next one. And uh, if you're in Atlanta, hit us up. We'll give you the details for the next one when we know about it. Um, but yeah. So last episode we was in was like the Israelites in the wilderness, um, specifically uh, Exodus chapter 16. Yep. You know, with quail and manna. Um, yep. And we give us our talk- daily bread. Yes. Rain from heaven. Mm. Amen. Um but we were talking about uh, the bad fruit being doubt, uh, and we were talking about the good fruit um, being, being trust. Uh, trust. Yeah. Why do we call it? Why do we call it bad fruit? For those who may be listening to the first we time, we call it bad fruit um, because we're trying to compare it to the spiritual fruits, but also because that's actually what happened um, in the context of uh, history mm. throughout the Bible. So it's pretty essentially what uh, the character in the Bible did wrong and the good fruit is how uh, one of the spiritual fruits or yeah. a byproduct of the spiritual fruit that they should have done in that mm. and we try to correlate that to what the whole theme around yeah. is uh, Tosses relationship with God and how our relationship with God is a reflection of how our relationship with people and we try to tie that in between so people can walk away with 
not just uh, being biblically taught, but also uh, practical things they can mm. use well, in their that, uh, relationships. Why is it that they, uh, we, we use fruit because the Bible uses fruit? Yes. So why is it that the Bible calls it fruit? Well, the Bible calls it fruit is because they use plants and uh, other things throughout the Bible as uh, something that's fruit-bearing, growth, yeah. something that grows and matures and as nurtured and watered, um, especially like the more that you read um, the Bible and the scripture is because that's a byproduct of like what the Holy Spirit is within mm. you and uh, and what it should be looking like yeah. if you're living a, a life um, where you're simply loving Jesus. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's because... The Bible uses fruit because it wanted to draw our attention using trees as an illustration and using it. And just like trees produce fruit and fruit can become rotten. They can be fruit can produce bad fruit, like fruit that you realize, oh, I'm not picking that. That's not good fruit. But you see one that's ripe and you're like, I want that fruit. That's good fruit. And that's why the Bible uses fruit and uses trees as an illust- as a, as a uh, parallel for humanity and growth, uh, because it teaches us uh, the similar idea of what god should be doing within us the idea that we are like the trees and god is the one who planted us and the reality is when we grow with his water when we grow with the good water and and we're in good soil and you take that illustration as far as you want the reality is when we're growing because of god and so like the same reason that trees don't grow without the rain trees do not grow without the sun and in the same way we do not grow on our own strength we can't grow ourselves we're reliant if we're going to grow spiritually we have to rely on god spiritually we have to rely on this is why jesus said come to me who all who are thirsty and i will give you uh, i will give you drink you know you will not come to me and you won't be thirsty again or in revelation when it says i saw that from the throne of god was flowing a river of river and each river would then produce a tree of life. Like, it's this idea always comes back to water and him being the living water. Um, and so when we grow through him, through his living water, we should be producing fruit if we are like a tree. And that fruit can be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, self-control, righteousness, and all these other things. You know. So in today's episode, um, we're going to be going over um, David and Bathsheba, and we're going to be pulling that from uh, 2 Samuel um, chapter 11. Ooh. And um, we'll talk about also our chapter 12 as well, since that is uh, behind it, and it, it will is a good coincide of uh, what David did and what um, he did um, affected with uh, what the prophet Nathan um, told him. Mm. Um, told what prophet Nathan told him that the Lord told him to say. Okay. So Caleb. So in between um, episode three, where the Israelites are in the wilderness, in Exodus chapter sixteen, and until Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter eleven, you Whew. know, just we got a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> got a lot of ground to cover. So like, fill the people in. Yes. So. The last time in the last episode where we last left off, we were with the the Hebrews when they were in the wilderness. Well, they were in the desert. I say desert because uh, when I think wilderness, I think of the backwoods of Georgia and we go back there hunting for stuff. And that's not how it was back then. I was like, they were in the desert. They're in the Middle East. And so they were in the desert and they were surviving. They, they were there for 40 years because they were waiting for God to lead them into the promised land. And after... Um, after they eventually did go into the promised land, uh, it was actually essentially Moses's 
number one disciple, essentially Joshua, and uh, and then also Caleb. You know, shout out to your boy. What um, <laughs> led them into the? They fulfilled what Moses started, uh, and they led them into the promised land. And eventually, they they they. Um, began to expand they began to settle the land and throughout that settling process they continued to have problems they continued to struggle to remain faithful to god uh, and so eventually god appointed people like judges these these people who are essentially like tribal war leaders who helped steer the people of israel back uh, to the to the right path following god defending the people defending them from the philistines and all these other surrounding nations they're still settling the land and in the midst of their settling they 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 desired the people of israel wanted to become like the other countries they didn't want to be uh, like what God had intended for them. They wanted to be, instead of fully reliant on God, they they said, we need to be like these other nations. They have a king, so make us a king. And so God appoints Saul. The people uh, appointed Saul. They voted for him because he was wise and he was a good military leader and he was very respectable and loved by all the people. And so the people appointed Saul. And Saul led them really well for a good while and he helped begin to unite the people. But then Saul began to have a selfish heart and he no longer trusted God. He went about his own ways of doing things. And so God took away his anointing and then he gave his anointing to a little dude named David who was a little shepherd boy. And eventually you have this prophet named Samuel who comes and he finds David and he anoints him to be the king. And there's this awesome moment where David makes himself so prominent in the nation of Israel because he slays this giant named Goliath with uh, his sling. And he actually used a sword and cut off his head, but we don't really talk about that in, you know, Sunday school. <laughs> and so, But he has these stones and he, and he slays him just like he slayed the bear and a lion as he was just being a shepherd. And uh, it said that David was a man after God's God's own heart and that he loved the Lord. And so he began to become rise in popularity, rise in influence. He began and eventually he becomes king. Eventually he takes his rightful place as the anointed king of Israel, anointed by God. And he is still hailed to this day as like this almost mythological figure in Judaism of his of the greatest king of Israel. And he united the kingdoms and he brought them under one banner where they were divided. They were heavily divided, but he brought them together. Um, and so in his kingliness, though, he still made mistakes. And so one of the mistakes that he made as while being king is what we're going to be highlighting today. Before we dive into the uh, episode, I'd uh, like to hear Olivia's um, opinion of like how she thinks things are going to, uh, this episode will go. Um, and also because she's been listening for a while now. Foreshadow for us what you think we're going to, how it's going to go down. Well, I don't want to get the story away, um, but I will say, um, I believe that, you know, you just see, you're going to see David's humanity, you know when he's titled as a man after God's own heart, we can kind of put like a perfectionist kind of like you're David's the closest thing to God at this point. And so you really see his humanity in this and that he is flawed. He is not perfect, although he is very loved by God and even the people as a great King, he um, is still a man. Um, He is still, he still struggles with sin like everyone else. Um, And so we're, going to see that unfold in a pretty crazy way (laughs) like this could be a whole movie i'm not sure why it's not a movie yet maybe it is i don't know but yeah it's 
it's going to be some wild stuff in here. But at the end of the day, it just points us back to our need for Jesus and our need for uh, rescue and redemption. So, yeah. Mm, good stuff. So, Caleb, can you read Second uh, Samuel chapter 11 for us? I already got it pulled up for you. All right. Here we go, friends. Do me a favor. Sit back. If you're driving don't close your eyes but <laughs> if you are not driving do me a favor i want you to sit back get get all comf in your chair or whatever you're doing right now take a moment just kind of picture this around you and and picture this this true event but this story that we're going to read for you second samuel chapter 11 starting in verse one i'm uh this week i'm going to read from the nlt in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 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 I'll say Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message letting him know, saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. We'll stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So so Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king, but he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? 
Then tell him, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open field, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives, and then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with that, with what David had done. How do you feel hearing that, what David did to Bathsheba and it being in the Bible, as far as him sleeping with her, um, knowing that she had a husband, and then also him sending her husband out to the front lines and getting him killed um kind of like i just talked about earlier with like david's humanity it just um for me it just kind of shows like the sinful nature like we have the capacity or the potential to do anything like as heinous like no one would probably say that they would do anything like that but we have that potential and just like david you know, basically used his power to uh, take advantage of someone and try to cover it up by doing something even worse. Um, you kind of just see that like, man, like we are very sinful beings. Mm. And in the past, reading this story, you can very you can very much look at it from a very judgmental point of view of like, dang, David, you really screwed up. But it's like, man, my sins are just like are the same. You know what I mean? Like I may have not have done anything specifically like what he did but my heart posture my heart posture has been in that place where I've basically done things out of um, my own desires my own passions and letting that fleshly desire lead me into doing heinous things that I shouldn't have done like or I would be too embarrassed to tell anybody about Um, but the fact that we have record of this in the bible it just is like man like this is this is like a mirror like we're looking at ourselves um and what if our dirty laundry was put on front street like this Mm. you know we would be like feel super ashamed but like we also know that god obviously uses david in a huge way but yeah i mean it's a sad story um because it's just didn't have to happen and then obviously with uriah being killed you know it's like he's like an innocent bystander in this because he did nothing wrong and I mean, Bathsheba either, but it's just, I don't know. It's its very sad, but it's also, man, like, this just shows our desperation for, um, we just need help. We need a lot of help. Um, and, yeah, thank God for Jesus. So, uh, Caleb, yeah. what what disturbs you as a man of God um, hearing, hearing, you know, what David had did, you know, because we look to the Bible for instruction of how to be uh, a man and, up to this point, David, what David is still is uh, um, characterized as a man after uh, God's own heart. How do you, how do you look at him in a different light, in your own opinion? Well, I mean, there's a there's a lot of things to talk about. I'll talk about the the first thing that also that I, that comes to mind is we tend to not, at least in the past, I was, I tended to not take a notice of just how severe his wrongs were because not only 
did he have an affair with someone that wasn't his wife? Not only did you then have send a righteous guy out to go get killed, because notice that like he had a sense of honor and duty. He was like, you send me home. I'm not going to go home to my wife. I'm going to stay here with the troops because they're out fighting. Why do I get to rat? Like you had this guy who was uh, even when he got him drunk, he was still like, no, nah, I'm sitting here with my troops. Like this is the right thing to do. So he sends a righteous man out to go get killed all to cover up for this story. But even deeper than that, it notes that David saw Bathsheba bathing. And then it says he sent for her. There's a now we can't we can't assume we can't directly say that this is what happened, but there there is a lot of speculation based around the data that the fact of if the king says something you don't say no to the king, so it is not far fetched to kind of place this assumption of David's um, David's affair with Bathsheba may not have been totally consensual. It could have been later on, could have grown to become that later on. But there's a there's a good argument that it wasn't because it was more coercion. Like, I'm the king. Now, we also don't know because there's a lot of details we don't have. There are also it could very well be the possibility it was consensual because this doesn't just assume Bathsheba was innocent. She could have been like, oh, my God, the king noticed me. (laughs) Like, you don't know what we don't. There's a lot of details we don't have. But the reality is what we do know for a fact Regardless of whether it was a consensual thing or not, it was still an abuse of power. Um, all these layers go into how deeply flawed David was. But the important thing is we tend to make mistakes of interpreting things in the Bible based on what we've read in the later in the Bible. So you got to remember, like at this point, there were there were laws that they had established, but there wasn't really much of an organized Judaism. Uh, like as a religion, like they're still trying to figure out what it means to follow God and they're all deeply messed up. Like they constantly do horrible, horrible things. But part of it is also, it's not like they were, they had a temple and they had all these things. It's not like it's like church today where you just know you're not supposed to do this or not supposed to do that. It's a journey in the process. And granted, there are things that we know are not right in the Lord's eye. That's why the prophets were there who tell the people what it means to follow God and deliberately disobey it. And so it's a, it's a balance of things of knowing that like one, yes, an abuse of power, but two, um, the other thing is noticing that like, this is also a place in time where they're, they're still trying to figure out what it means to follow God. They're, they're still more slave to their own selfish nature than they realize. Um, there's a lot of thoughts that go around it. Um, but primarily just recognizing that like, not only is it common that we see, David who abused his power but it's also a reflection of what happens when in our own world today like you see pastors who abuse their power look at the SBC 700 pastors that the SBC executive committee intentionally knew of and covered up of 700 abusive pastors of cases of abuse reported cases that were done nothing about because they didn't want to damage the reputation of the SBC like these things happen all the time and it shows that a system of power which is why me personally that's why i don't like when you know we refer to like other like you know i'm i'm very hesitant when we refer to other ministers as like bishop so and so oh what's up bishop what's up 
well, pastor is like one thing. It just depends on the tone in which it's used. But the tone in which it's used, it's one thing if you're just like joking, like, what's up, pastor? Like, whatever. But when someone, when you constantly are attributing like this, it's bishop so-and-so, it's apostle so-and-so, whatever. Like, you have these things that slowly begin to contribute to that same unhealthy mindset of giving uh, men a specific feeling of authority and power that they're not intended to have because it's too much temptation that leads them astray. Um, so what happens next, Adrian? What, is, what happens next? So what happens next is that David does get rebuked by God, but the prophet Nathan is sent um, as God's messenger to rebuke him. And mm. he rebukes him. And the best way that as we come to further know that how God and Jesus likes to talk in parables. Mm. So Nathan rebukes David. And the parable is that one one was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great uh, many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb. But he brought, but he had brought. He raised that little lamb and then grew up with his with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for its guest. So that was the Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse Second Samuel chapter twelve, one through four, and um, that's the NLT version. And it really is a crazy moment because, as you said, Nathan tells the story to David. He tells the story that God gave him. He gave him this little parable, as you just read for us. And David, as we all know, like when, especially if you're reading it, it's like he gets, he gets furious and he says, you know, he's got to repay him. He's got to do these things, which is really interesting to think about how oftentimes, you know, this, <laughs> it makes me think of even like, you know, pastors today who, who some of the, I, I just keep going back because it's so recent. But those pastors, that list of 700 pastors, I wonder how many of them are were like so fervently preaching against maybe the same sins they were committing. You often find that very true in society. People tend to be so, so much more zealous and preach zealously about the things that they are committing. Um, and so David, he's like naturally just like, this guy didn't be taken care of. That's so wrong. Yada, yada. And Nathan's like, well, that's you. <laughs> You're the person. You're the person in this story. And he even goes in and he, he gives this very specific uh, rebuke from God. This is the Lord, God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if it not been enough, I even given you much, much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, then he gives him almost a curse. He says, this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord's Lord says. Because of what you've done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Now, something that's really important to discuss here is, does that mean God is causing all these bad things to happen to David? It's really important to note that um, that 
the reality is God did not do evil against David. In this context, the language that's being spoken is helping people understand that like God is God orchestrates all things and God allows evil to happen in the world. He allows us, but so one of the things is even though some sins, these are the consequences of our actions, it's one he's essentially allows not necessarily that God is the one who forces these things. He doesn't force his son to rebel against him, but he essentially, by allowing it, he's saying, "I'm this is what's going to happen to you. And that's why, because the language is like, I, I will cause these things by allowing it. I'm going to cause these things by allowing this to happen. Like That's essentially the sovereignty of God, because back then their reality was God is God causes everything. He allows it to happen but he's still good. And so he allows these things to happen because it's the natural consequences of our sins or things that are just going to happen as a result of them later on. Um, and reaping of those things, reaping the reaping what you've sowed, essentially. And just another point with that is um, even just the idea of the Nathans in your life. You know, like, I think I love this part because it's like we all need a Nathan. You know what I mean? Because sometimes we can be so high and lofty in our spiritual view of ourself or and we just um kind of like the i don't know i think it's in matthew but it's like get the plank out of your own eye before you like try to take the sawdust so it's like we can all get in that you know where we're just like oh you're doing wrong you're doing wrong and we can clearly see everyone else's wrongs Mm. but we somehow are blind to our own and so i like you were talking about with the SBC and the 700, like where was there Nathan? Like, you know, it's like God favored David by bringing him someone to kind of open his eyes to the truth. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, of course God could have opened his eyes in any way, but he, he used a man. Yeah. He used Nathan. Um, God could have came down from heaven and said, David, look at what you've done. And like, you know, put terror and fear in his heart. And, but he sent Nathan and Nathan does it in the way that God tells him to do it. And all it does is obviously rebuke and show David himself. But, you know, Mm. obviously David, it humbled him and it brought him to his knees and it made him see his wrong and, you know, plead and beg God for mercy um, because we know something tragic is going to happen after this. So, you know, it just, I guess it just shows the beauty of um, um, people and how God does use people. Mm. Um, and he uses people to encourage us, lift us up, but also rebuke us when we need it. So, yeah, yeah. well, it also raises the question because you, you said, you know, you look at the like, 700 SBC pastors mm-hmm. or whatever. Where was there Nathan? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the question. Where was there Nathan? Do we have an answer? Like, what do you Maybe think? they were supposed to be each other's Nathan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Yeah, it was like the reality is I think... It, we, we ask those questions, where is the Nathan? Where is the Nathan in this country? Reality is, there is no Nathan. We don't have a Nathan because we've set up a system that doesn't allow for it. We have created a system in our nation that has that. And part of this is due, actually, I may get crap for this, but that's okay. I would say the reason for this is because of the Protestant Re- Reformation. So when we split off from the Catholic Church, and for good reasons, you know, um, we split off because the Catholic Church was doing a lot of corrupt things. But the reality is they actually would have had that system in place. That's where you had your bishop or the pope or whatever. You had someone that answer, that you answered to. Um, now, they were not good stewards of that system. And as a result, 
Protestant Reformation happened. But now we live in this place where it is only the people of influence. If you can get famous enough, then you got the word to be able to say it. But that's not how Jesus works. <laughs> God don't work. God don't give two craps about how famous you are on this earth. Like God does not care about your Emmys or your Grammys. God don't care about your best-selling how many followers books. you got. He don't care about your Instagram followers. He don't care if you're a best-selling author. God do not care about how famous you are in this world. It does not. God is the one who appoints the Nathan, not us. And for a long time, we've tried to appoint the Nathans and we've tried to, or we try to say, well, I'm just the David with no Nathan. And that's how we, we are both the David and the Nathan. And that's how a lot of us, a lot of people have tried to function and in leadership in our country. But we have to begin to figure out the answer to how do we allow the Nathans in the world? How do we allow the Nathans in our life? How do we, when do we, when are we really going to know what it means to be spirit led? We got a lot of churches that fake what it means being spirit led. We can be led by the spirit, but we don't we don't really know what it means to be spirit led. If we really wanted to be spirit led, we would be praying for God to appoint a Nathan over us. Nobody praying for that though. Nobody. Ain't nobody praying for nobody. who will you appoint to hold me account? Who will you appoint to be the Nathan for for right. us? Like right. and that's a as a conversation we need to have. Are we gonna be so spirit led that we actually pray for our own accountability right that we right. pray for not just our peer accountability yeah but an authority of a higher accountability yeah and i definitely agree like i i was gonna ask you the question is just like so at this point is it just a lack of accountability in the church and mm-hmm. or not desiring it because like you would think you know with the church setup is like you have you know the elders and stuff like that yeah. it's like you would think there's some point of accountability there as far as like you know you have the elder board or whatever and you have your head pastor but that's kind of a part of that elder's job is, yeah. is to kind of help with that accountability run make sure yeah. that the pastor is teaching biblically and living you know all yeah. that kind of stuff so it's like do we have just a bunch of people or leaders in the church that really don't want so the the answer for that is kind of like multi-fold thing um the answer for that really comes down to the reality where, um, on one hand, you have pastors in the nation who just don't want that accountability. You have people who just say, you know, I am the last say, I'm the one who's leading this. But you also do have, uh, you know, elders who are the ones who are supposed to be appointed, who are supposed to be the authority, who are supposed to be like the Nathans. But the, the hard part is, is we just live in a system and we live in a world where the church is just so broken. And it's been broken for years, going all the way back to the Reformation and and even before that, way before that, with the Catholic Church and a bunch of corruption took place. And it came to the point where a lot of times when it comes to areas of leadership and how we run a church, a lot of it is us filling in the blanks. And we focus on what the Bible doesn't say. Like, you know, with the five finger leadership model this is idea and leadership for the past several years where uh is the idea of like you know you have a, a shepherd or you have a you have a you have a, a apostle and you have a prophet and a shepherd and a pastor and a teacher and there's different leadership models but the reality is um we the bible never says what those are supposed to look like 
So how do we know what those function like today? Well, we fill in the blanks. And we do that for a lot of things in the Bible in our modern church. And we spend so much time filling in the blanks on what the Bible doesn't say that we just miss what it is trying to say. The reality is every leader, every Christian should grow to become a shepherd. They should grow to, even if it's not their natural gifting, if they're just not naturally built like that, you still got to do it. You still need to do it. Um, if you have to learn how to build relationships, how to shepherd people, how to walk with them. Um, and there's so many things, but at the end of the day, we just, we live in a world where it's such a problem for how broken our system is as a church that has set us up to where there are systems appointed and systems in place that have continued to produce the, this bad fruit of leaders. Um, when you want to talk about good fruit, bad fruit, it's like looking at this reality of the fruit that we have produced as a church. Is it producing good fruit or bad fruit? And we've produced a lot of good things, but we've also produced a lot of bad things as well. Um, but even through that, I think a follow-up question could even be going into, okay, well, one of the things that we could talk about, though, as we're on this kind of discussion of, of a Nathan and all of these things, like, what what should our response be for that? Even looking at this story, like what really is the core problem of this issue and this and this event that happened? This idea of what is the good fruit or the bad fruit in this scenario? We're looking at David and Bathsheba, and we look at the whole point of this series is toxic relationships with God. And so the idea is, what is toxic in this scenario? What was toxic about this situation? Well, the toxicity was um, the lust. Mm. That uh, David that David had, and um, yeah. just David not being what kind set. of lust? Well, lust is sexual immorality. Yeah, but there's also so, more than that too, like, right? Well, it's false idolatry, you know. But, yeah, uh, well, but lust, but lust is pretty much just you know not being satisfied, honestly. Um, yeah. So well, I'm thinking like it's not just the lust of David lusting for Bathsheba, like in like physically. Yeah. There's also the lust for power. The fact that he could just write a letter, send him to the front lines, get this guy to my life. I'm gonna cover this whole situation up. That woman, I want her. Bring her to me. Like there's a whole, there's a lust not just for her, but a lust for power as well. Is but lust is really is that core issue. And man, is it an issue that drives so many of us without realizing it. Hey friends, this is Caleb. I just want to thank you so much for taking a moment and tuning in to this episode that we have for you. This is a really, really interesting episode. Um, we spent a long time talking about this conversation about David and Bathsheba, and we decided to split this into two parts. And so to hear the next part for this episode, you're going to have to wait until next week and then come back because me, Adrian, and Olivia, we continue this conversation and it gets really, really spicy for lack of better words uh, but for those of you who've been listening thank you so much for tuning in we just want to encourage you to follow us on instagram at slj ministries also follow us on tiktok at slj ministries you can follow us on twitter at slj ministries but that's really up to you you don't have to but you know we would appreciate it we would appreciate the love but for those who have been tuning in for a long time again thank you so so much you don't know how much we appreciate you you don't know how much we appreciate your contributions to our ministry you don't know how 
how much we appreciate even the smallest things like writing a review and telling somebody else how much you love this podcast. And speaking of which, if you haven't written a review yet, we really would love that. You could write it down on Apple Podcasts or if you're just using Spotify, then we would be so encouraged if you would just share this episode with one person. We are again in a series called Toxic Relationships with God. And if you've been getting a lot out of this series, then please send us a DM. Let us know how this series has been teaching you and challenging you to have a healthier relationship with God to help you identify maybe some toxic things in your mindset, in your thinking, ways in your heart that has that has created or cultivated a a harmful or a toxic thinking that has ruined or distorted your relationship with God. And that's what we're trying to fix. We're trying to help you have a healthy relationship with God so that you can have healthy relationships with other people. And so in this episode, as you heard, we're starting to dive into this idea of lust and love. And you're going to hear more about that next week because we actually take this conversation between David and Bathsheba and go on an even deeper level and talk about how we not only can have a love for God, but we can also have a lust for God. But to hear more about that, you're going to have to wait till next week. So that being said, send us a message on Instagram. Let us know how we can pray for you.